0: New Zealand has become synonymous with Sauvignon Blanc, and the home of New Zealand's best Sauvignon Blanc is an area called Marlborough, near the top of South Island. And the heart of the Marlborough district is Blenheim. That's the home of the Rose family, the makers of Wairau River wines, and one of New Zealand's pioneering wine producers. Now, if you want to know how New Zealand wine became so good so quickly, well, the Rose family story is a pretty good place to start. In this podcast you'll hear how it all began back in 1978 and how it nearly didn't begin at all thanks to farming neighbours suspicious about this fancy new winemaking thing. We'll look at how the roses battled bureaucracy, the weather and their relative isolation at the bottom of the world to get Wairau River Wines onto the international wine map and how the single vineyard they planted in 1978 grew to 14 vineyards today producing some of New Zealand's most highly regarded and consistently superb wines. It's quite a story, so let's get going. If you think it's tough getting resource consent these days, you should talk to Phil and Chris Rose.
1: Some of the neighbours were weren't too happy about having their lovely views of paddocks ruined by grapevines.
0: Well, that soon changed.
1: <laughs> Back in
0: 1975, When the roses made their inspired switch from lucerne farming, gloom, to grape-growing, boom, well, they had a hell of a time. The neighbours just didn't like it. They didn't like the idea of viticulture. They didn't like the sound of it either. They didn't want their view of lovely rocky paddocks spoiled by (laughs) shudder. Vineyards and vines and bees and stuff. The ROSE's application for change of land use was strenuously objected to by many nearby farmers and landholders. 56 objections were filed. 56. It took two years to muddle through the system in an era when it really was the system. But it was a system that eventually worked in the ROSE's favour. Like viticulture, getting the right result just took a bit of time and it was well worth the patient wait. By 1978, the objections had been logically and methodically overruled, and the roses had the green light to plant white grapes, and a few red ones. The saga had cost them the equivalent of about four houses in legal fees, but a win was a win. The roses, and their new venture, were off. And you know, they haven't looked back for a single day since. Now as it turned out, the Wairau River edge was perfect for growing grapes. Who knew? Well turns out a few forward-thinking people at the time had a fair idea this was an area that was probably going to prove to be a viticultural paradise and some of New Zealand's pioneering wine labels were already planting as fast as they could. All of them had realized years earlier that the wider Marlborough area had the perfect climate and soil structure for growing grapes. It was an Antipodean clone in all the important ways of the Old World regions like Bordeaux and Burgundy. And the Tawa and microclimate around the home block, where Phil and Chris lived and worked and were about to plant their first vines, was even more suitable, thanks to the unique stony soil and mineral makeup of the land beneath their feet, the ancient bed of the Wairau River. It was hard, tough, uncompromising land. And the grapes? The grapes loved it. The first vines they planted in the home block were fed by trickle irrigation. Rudimentary, but effective. The vines clung to the stony earth for dear life. They struggled to push their roots down, but the punishment was worth it when they got there, because four meters below the surface, they found water. The Wairau Aquifer, feeding direct from the nearby Wairau River, was one of the many reasons this land would prove magic for winemaking. But back to the start, 1978. It was a hard year, not made any easier by the fact the Roses had four kids under five, and getting their vineyard established was several full-time jobs, but there was only the two of them. They carted the kids to where the work was that day in an old caravan that doubled as a crèche. In fact, long after the kids were no longer kids, the caravan stayed on, doing duty as a smoko hut for workers and pickers. Smoko, it's a word you don't hear much these days. The labour market was a bit different in 78 too. Seasonal migratory workers weren't a thing then, that just wasn't an available option. So Phil and Chris enlisted local women to come and help with the pruning to earn some money for Briley's shares or the new ABBA album. Actually, they probably still have the ABBA album. The next 10 years saw some huge exponential changes for the roses and in fact for the whole New Zealand wine industry. The great vine pull-out of 1986 was an initiative to reshape the varieties planted and to replace the ubiquitous Turgau for more commercially relevant or contemporary varieties. Grapes more suited to the unique local terroir as well as to the palates of Europeans and to an increasingly savvy local market. Already Marlborough, New Zealand was quickly becoming the home of the New World Sauvignon Blanc and the Rose family estate was right smack in the sweet spot. A breakthrough came when Vintech arrived. Vintech was a contract winery facility that gave smaller growers a crack at stepping up and establishing their own boutique labels. The rocketing popularity of Sauvignon Blanc spurred the Roses to start their own label It was the step change Phil and Chris had been waiting for, and working for, for more than a decade. So by 1991, they were away. Literally away. Off on an Air New Zealand 747 to the UK with a few precious cases of their 91 vintage, which, by the way, had also won the champion Sauvignon Blanc trophy. Useful? It was extremely well received by the UK boutique distributors. So well, in fact, that Phil and Chris actually had to leave London and travel to Spain to escape the persistent detentions of the wine buyers who liked what they spat and wanted to take everything the roses had. Now everything at that stage was just 2,000 cases a year, literally a drop in the ocean of the world wine market, although as it turns out, a very tasty drop. But even Barcelona in that hot summer wasn't going to be a respite for the roses. Outrageously, they had a very eager distributor follow them all the way to the Catalan region, someone bold enough to track them down and then slip a note under the hotel door. Eventually, the couple decided to work with Reed Wines, a relationship that would last for over a decade. Now around the same time, and that's uh, 1992, Phil and Chris were introduced to a US distributor and to a Frenchman in Australia, and they also made a brief foray into the German market. None of those joint ventures really worked out. Looking back, Phil says they were just a bit too ambitious, and they didn't know then what they know now. Back in Marlborough, things were starting to move and change and grow. The Roses' production increased, their skills were honed, of course, and with help from their first winemaker, John Balsham, Wairau River was starting to get a name for making some seriously good wine. And things kept moving forward as things tend to do when you're chasing a dream. 1992 also saw the building of the door and restaurant. This was Chris's vision. She'd always been a committed foodie, and besides, the couple needed somewhere to sell their wine to the growing number of curious visitors. They bought an orchard called Riverlore, sold off the glasshouses that came with it, and built a mud brick building which is still part of the restaurant and door operation today and it gets better looking with every passing year. The restaurant worked, and a lot of the local women who'd worked in the vineyards were also happy to come and work in the kitchen. It's now one of the oldest restaurants in the region and still one of the best. In 2002, with change in the wind, the Roses seized an opportunity to build their own winery on a Greenfield site. Phil and Chris were able to design from scratch their perfect winery. With a state-of-the-art plant and a bottling pavilion and Waiurau river really started to take off 2002 was a great year in many ways for the roses in part because it was an excellent one out of the box vintage the weather that year was perfect everything happened at the right time having their own winery made life easier it meant they could bottle to order for one thing complying with all the different bottle and label requirements of their increasingly thirsty international buyers. It's 2003 now, and the Roses, always with an eye for technological innovation, have bought their first wind machines for frost control. The pricey Perkins four-cylinder turbo units replaced another system called the Hughes 500C Jet Turbine Helicopter and Pilot, an eye-wateringly expensive and not-always-there-when-you-need-it way to protect the vulnerable grape buds from jack frost.
1: Yeah, well, originally we didn't have any major frost problem here, but that all changed. So. To try and mitigate any damage, we finished up using helicopters for a number of years. They would fly in at great expense from all over the country, and you would finish up spending uh, a night's accommodation for the pilot as well, and he'd get up in the morning, having not been required, get in his helicopter and fly back to Queenstown or Nelson or wherever he came from at great expense. We decided because of the pattern that the frosts were showing that we would put uh, wind turbines in and we've now got quite a large number of them and they do a very good job and they are automated and it doesn't matter whether if the frost doesn't happen well they don't switch themselves on but if it does well they all crank up and they do a pretty good job.
0: Then the kids started coming home. The kids who once hung out in the caravan while mum and dad worked in the vineyard had all grown up and got degrees and gone off to see what the world had to offer. Daughter Pip ended up in Sydney with her husband Parky, a clever chap with a background in IT and a good business sense. Phil and Chris called him in 2002 and suggested they needed a bit of help at the top running things as things were getting quite big. So Pip and Parky flew home to help out. Paki took over the business side of the business as CEO, and it's quite a big business, taking in 14 vineyards at last count. Pip, meanwhile, took over the restaurant and cellar door, both vital parts of the business, the display window of the quickly expanding Wairau River Wines. In 2004, the Roses employed their first sales and marketing manager, this hire took a lot of pressure off Phil and Chris because up until then they'd been doing everything, including the arduous and time-consuming sales and marketing work. Son Sam had been in Sydney, working in construction when he had something off an epiphany and returned to New Zealand to study for a winemaking degree at Lincoln University. He graduated three years later and became Wairau River head winemaker in 2010. Sam's brother Hamish has always been connected to the outdoors He went to Lincoln University also and spent a few quality years studying horticulture. Long a keen scuba diver, Hamish began diving professionally and bought his own power quota – that's a license to harvest the precious local New Zealand abalone. He was most happy on and in the water, to be fair, but when things at home got really busy, he sold his successful business to join the family firm and began working with Phil and Chris and Sam as the viticulturalist. Hamish still likes a dive, by the way, and is a mad keen hunter. Now with Hamish came Christie. Christie's specialty is HR, and her nose for good people and sharp mind have made her invaluable in the business. Youngest daughter Caroline was also living in Sydney. What is it about Sydney? She was working in hospitality with partner Tane, an up and coming chef who was cooking up amazing things at Wokpool, XO, and China Doll. But hospitality in Sydney is a brutal industry. It chews people up and then it burns them out. Phil and Chris saw an opportunity to get Caroline and Tane out of the Sydney hospo grind and to establish something really special back home at the estate. They came home in 2006 with their Sydney smarts and three hat restaurant experience and promptly elevated the restaurant offering into something really special. Pro tip, Try the Black Doris Tart, it's amazing, but only after you've had the blue cheese and pear double souffle, which is merely sublime. That's awesome. There are more roses. Another daughter, Anna, and her husband, Paul, are living nearby. And while not involved in the day-to-day running of the business, do grow grapes for Waira River on their beautiful block in gorgeous Grovetown. The Rose family estate today, in a business where family involvement is not uncommon, is something else again. It's next level. All of the family are involved in the business. Each controls a vital part of the operation and is in a role that perfectly matches their strengths and their personalities. It's quite unusual, a bit like a football team. If, you know, a football team could make wine. Imagine that. The Rose family estate team also includes some long-term employees who also play key roles in making the business whir. At the time of writing, there were 11 people who have been on the Rose family estate team for more than 10 years. It's not hard to see why. With the children in the driver's seat and the business growing and expanding and going from strength to strength, Phil and Chris have been able to step off the gas a bit in recent years and travel. Travel, travel, travel. They like to travel a bit, but they also like coming home to the land they first planted back in 1978. And who can blame them? And don't worry. Phil and Chris still know exactly what's going on every day, every week, every vintage. This podcast was written and presented by me, Martin Brown, and engineered by Adam Isles and Clive Broughton at Factory Studios in Auckland. Additional field recording by Jono in Twistle. Music came courtesy of Jan Hellriegel and Songbroker Music Publishing and thanks of course also to Phil and Chris Rose and their incredible family for the outstanding hospitality and cooperation and patience for all the extra Zoom calls and silly questions from me. There'll be more episodes where this came from looking in more detail at different aspects of Wairau River Wines and the Rose family estate and we look forward to sharing those with you soon. Please like and subscribe for updates to this series at Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcasting platform. And please do leave a review if you can. It helps more people find us. Oh, and one more thing, those annoying neighbors, the ones who were the handbrake for two hard years. Amusingly, one by one, they saw the light by either planting vines themselves or selling out to wine companies. You couldn't make this up if you tried.